coming out and joining us today. Don't they do an awesome job? Yeah. Praise the Lord, team. Hallelujah. They're awesome. Um, all of our kids can be dismissed to go to their classes. I think it's at 4 to 10 downstairs. I think it's 4 to 10 years old downstairs. Everybody else, you're stuck with me for a little bit. I only have four verses today, though. I don't know if you can see it for the, for the tomb up here, but only four verses. So surely we'll get out of here early today then, right? Huh? We don't have anybody. Oh, talk to Brenda. I'm not sure. Okay, what the cross was meant for, then. I'm going to talk to you about what the cross was meant for. So we all know that Good Friday, I think, are they open in the nursery today? Is that the deal? Okay, if you have a young person, they can go back to the nursery too. Um, come on and back in and join us. It's going to be good today. So um, we all know that on Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. That was this last Friday, right? He was in the tomb for, for three days. On the third days, he, he, he was resurrected. God, through his awesome power, resurrected Jesus Christ on this day that we're here to, to reverence today. Um, Easter, he was resurrected. So Resurrection Sunday, right? So why he did this was to reconcile our relationship back with, back with God because we all know. Can you all tell I'm extremely nervous today? <laughs> I am. My wife can tell it for sure. I talk fast when I get nervous. Here in about five or ten minutes, I'll calm down and we'll go ahead and preach and it'll be all right. But there's a lot of new people here today and that's not it. I know that there's a lot of people here today that your souls are at stake. This is a high stakes kind of service today. This might be the only time I get to talk to you. Right? And I know, I believe that God's going to save some souls today. That not, not, not that we have any credit for it as the church or as a pastor, but, but that lives will be changed and, and it will further God's kingdom. So that's what makes me nervous about today. So give me just a few minutes, bear with me, I'll calm down and it'll be all right. Right? <laughs> Only four verses, surely it won't take long. So Jesus did this. He went and did what he did so that he could reconcile our relationship with back, back with God because we all know that in the Garden of Eden that God used to come down in the cool of the evening and he would walk with Adam in the garden and they would talk and they had fellowship and they had a relationship. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it changed everything. Then the devil got the authority, got the power, right? He tricked him into doing it. He got the power. He did all these things. So Jesus came back to restore that relationship, says that we could go boldly to the throne room of God. We're going to talk about the veil here in a little bit, too. So he did it to restore this relationship, to restore peace, to restore healing, to restore authority, right, that the people had. In Luke 10, 19, he comes back and says, Behold, I give unto you authority. I give you, I, I, you, can, you can smash vipers and scorpions under your feet. You can walk all over the power of the enemy, right? So I'm still talking about what the cross was meant for. What the cross was meant for, what man made it for. Romans used the cross to kill people. They, they didn't invent the cross, but they perfected the cross. They borrowed it from another civilization, but they, they, they perfected it, right? They killed thousands of people on this cross to figure out how they could take someone right to the edge of death without killing them during the scourging and then put them on the cross. We're going to talk about that today. Put them on the cross and, and make the pain, make them endure pain for as long as they possibly could before their body died. Right before they gave up the ghost, the Bible says. So the cross, represent, the cross represented, rather, torture. It represented pain. It represented bondage. It represented dread. It represented death, right? Jesus dreaded the cross so much that he sweat blood when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was praying and, and there, when I was preparing for this, um, I, I went on the internet and I found where, where trauma surgeons had, had studied out the cross. Christian trauma surgeons had, had studied out the cross and what a crucifixion would mean and what the body, the human body, would actually go through. And they said there are rare documented cases that people sweat blood. The, the tiny blood, it, it's from an emotional, emotional distress and, and, and going into shock, but there were, the tiny blood capillaries in the sweat glands would have burst and mixed with the sweat that came out of his pores. And he literally sweat blood. He dreaded the cross so much. He knew 
what it meant for him. He knew what, what was about to go down. So it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that he prayed. He said, Lord, let the cup pass by me. He prayed this twice. Let the cup pass by me, Lord. If there's any other way that we can do this, Dad, just go ahead and do it that way. But not my will, Lord, but your will be done. If this is the only way that it can be done, Father, I'll do the way that you say to do it. Amen. Not my will, but my will. And so he began to sweat blood, and it was caused by, I told you that, severe, severe emotional distress. I got a little ahead of my notes. Severe emotional distress. And um, it causes shock when this happens. Your body goes into shock, the blood capillaries break, and you begin to sweat like that. So it was in the garden that Jesus was arrested. During the time he was praying, he began to sweat blood. Then they came, and he was arrested. You all know that, that, that Judas betrayed him, and that happened that way. So... Um, he was brought to the Sanhedrin, and he was charged with being the king of the Jews. They said that he, was, he, he had claimed to be the king of the Jews. So he, he experienced the first of the five physical traumas that he did at that time. So they, they struck Jesus, right? They began to strike him and to beat him as they questioned him. He remained silent during this time. And if you think about this, these, these men that were beating him and were punching him and were, and were striking him, they were battle-hardened men. These weren't skinny little twerps. They, they weren't ruddy little men like the Bible talks about when it talks about David. They were battle-hard men. They trained to fight and to kill people, hand-to-hand -hand combat, to kill you with swords, to kill you with spears, to kill you with their hands, right? Yeah. And when they weren't fighting in battles, they were training to fight. Yeah, yeah. These are the type of men that they were the roughest of the rough. These were the type of the men that, that were beating Jesus and striking Jesus, right? But he remained silent. So they, so they blindfolded him. They, they spit on him, and they struck him, and they taunted him. And they said, if you're the son of God, tell us who's striking you then. Tell me who I am. Identify me. Yeah. It's talking about what our Lord went through for us to have our salvation, right? For us to be able to live in the things the Bible says that we have, right? So in the early morning, by the time they had brought him to Pilate, he, he was already battered and bruised and exhausted and dehydrated. They'd beat him and questioned him all night long, did, did all the things that we've been talking about so far. So Pilate could find no fault in Jesus. He brought him in and questioned him and could find no fault. He was the perfect lamb of God. I've heard people say before, how do you know Jesus was perfect? How do you know he didn't sin before? Well, let me say this to you. If Jesus wasn't perfect, you're going to need to go back to sacrificing goats again. Because unless he was perfect, he couldn't pay for the sin for all of eternity. Christianity can't exist without Jesus being the perfect Lamb of God. He was the perfect Lamb of God. They could find no fault in him. So Pilate sent him to Herod because he could find no fault. Herod was the king over the whole, over the whole nation. So they could find no fault in him. So he sent him back to Pilate again. Pilate still not finding any fault. He, he, he went to the Sanhedrin and said, and to the people and said, are you sure you want to crucify this man? Why this man? Why would you want to crucify him? And the people influenced by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, now, these religious leaders, they held a lot of power. They could have you ostracized from the community. They could have you put out where you were just put out and you had to fend for yourself, right? The Sanhedrin that Jesus faced in that day, there were 71 members in it. They wanted him dead because if they really believed that he was the son of God, they'd have been put out of a job, right? Because up to this point in the Old Testament, you had to bring your sacrifice to the church. You had to bring your sacrifice to the priest, and the priest brought it in and sacrificed your, your, your sacrifice for you, took his part of it out, right? sacrificed your part, you couldn't go into the holiest of holies. You couldn't go and pray to God. We, we couldn't come and meet like this and the Spirit just show up and be in our presence. That's not how it worked. The Spirit stayed, dwelled in the temple and the priest could only go in, right? So it would put them out of a job because Jesus was making a new way for us to come to Christ. The New Testament, you could say. Testament, mean, testament means covenant or deal. So in the Old Testament, that's the deal they had. 
And the New Testament, that's the deal that we have. The New Testament of the covenant, right? So they demanded crucify him. Pilate even went as far as to say he tried, to, it, it was their custom in the day to release a prisoner once a year. So he said, what about Barbas? Barbas? I have Barbas here. I can release him for you. I'm paraphrasing here today because it's too much to go and read for you. What about Barabbas? I could release Barabbas for you. He, he's a murderer and a thief, and he was a truly bad individual. I could release him. And they said, no, crucify Jesus. Crucify him. The, the crowds kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. So at that time, Pilate ordered him to be scourged. Scourged meant they would tie you to a post where your hands were up above your head, and you were to, tied to a post like this, and then they would beat him up to 40 times with a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine whips on it, right? And in this cat of nine tails, they have woven in jagged stones in this thing. And some, some scholars say there may have been bones in it, but, but there was most definitely stones probably woven into, the, into these nine tails. So as they began to beat Jesus, it ripped and tore pieces of his flesh out. That's what, that's what the stone was to do. Have you ever had a stone bruise before? You ever stepped on a stone? When I was a kid, I used to run around barefooted. I'm too fat to do that now, and it hurts my feet too bad, but... When I was a kid, if you're running out there barefooted and you step on a stone and it'll bruise the bottom of your foot, that thing's sore for a long time. Some of y'all experienced that before. But this thing was, th these stones were in this whip and they were designed to, to rip and tear pieces of flesh out as they pulled them out, as they sunk in and they ripped the whip back out. So um, at first when they, were, when they would beat you with the cat of nine tails, it was only skin deep. It would hit your skin and, and, the, and the whip would wrap around you and, and hit your other side. You know kind of how... It does when you're hit with something like that that wraps around you. So it, it would affect his back and his sides and his legs and his ribs. So at first, he, he, it would have been just uh, fleshly on, on top of the skin. But as it went on 39 times, 39 times, it would have got deeper and deeper into the, into the flesh. And it would, have, it would have went through his skin and into the muscle and began to break veins and, and, and arteries and things or capillaries in, in his skin and, and, and a little deeper than that and and as they pulled the whip out you can imagine pieces of the flesh ripping off right it would have been deeper deeper and oozing blood out of these things right and then deeper and got into the muscles and the capillaries and the veins and it causes spurting to happen this is what trauma surgeons have said who studied that studied out what they did in a crucifixion or or a scourging so they beat him with this whip, and as they pulled it out, as his heart would beat, it would begin to spurt blood a little bit as it went deeper and deeper into the flesh, right? It caused spurting. So the skin, by the end of this beating, would have been hanging kind of like loose ribbons. If you can picture wrapping some ribbons around yourself and how they would kind of hang off your back, his skin began to hang like this. This is what our Lord did. I know this is graphic today, but this is what our Lord did to pay for our salvation, right? Don't let anybody ever tell you that you've been, don't let the devil ever tell you that you've been too bad. God doesn't want you back. This is what Jesus went through to pay for your salvation, right? To pay for us to get back into this relationship with God, right? So it began to hang like loose ribbons. At the end, they would have cut him loose off the pole and, and allowed him to, to sit there and he would just slump over in shock. The body was in shock by this point. And he would just been allowed to slump there in a pool of his own blood. Can you imagine looking around and seeing bits of your own flesh? Your blood that had been pumping out of your back? Can you imagine seeing that? What, what Christ went through? His legs buckled in shock. There was a centurion there in charge of this scourging. A man who had done many scourging, I'm sure, because he was sent there to, to, to take control of the thing, and he would allow the man to whip him and whip him and whip him, and he would get him right to the point of death. When the, when the centurion was knew that he was about to die, he'd say, that's enough. If, if, if you continue to beat him, he'll die here. He won't make it to the cross. 
right? So the centurion was in charge of getting someone to near death and then cut them loose. And that's when he was allowed to slump there in a puddle of blood. So the Roman soldiers saw a joke in this. When Jesus was cut loose and he was slumped over at the ground, they put a robe across his back, right? They made fun of it because the king would have had a scarlet robe and a crown and a, and a scepter, or they put a stick in his hand. So they put a stick in his hand, and they put a crown of thorns on his head. Now, I made this crown of thorns here seven or eight years ago now, I think it was. I made them out of a little young locust tree when the, when the limbs were wet still. I cut them off the tree, and you can see the wire ties in there kind of. But can you imagine that on your head? When I was making this thing, I dropped it on the ground on accident. I was trying my best not to get poked by any of these. But I dropped it on the ground, and most things, when you drop them, they'll bounce. Something slider like this. I dropped this on the ground, and it just stuck in the ground and stopped there like that. But they put a crown of thorns similar to this one. Scholars say that the plants in that part of the country, though, the thorns wouldn't have been quite as long. They would have only been about an inch and a half long or so. But that's, this is the closest I, closest I can replicate it here. Um, but however, they put that crown of thorns onto his head, and they hit it with a stick to drive it down into his head. So the blood began to flow over his face. They put a stick in his hand, and, and they began to pluck his beard out and beat him. I can imagine them grabbing him by this beard and punching him. These big battle-hardened men, ripping his beard out by the roots. I know it's graphic today, but I want you to understand what God went through, what Jesus went through to pay for your salvation. Right? They plucked his beard out. They beat him. And then when they got tired of the joke, his back had had about enough time to clot. Trauma surgeons say his back would have had about enough time to clot to this cloth that they put on him. They rip it off. Right? Then they force him to carry his cross. Now, this is something that I studied through this. We, we see a cross as this, a cross. But there's a, they say that this post here would have been mounted in the ground and would have stayed in the post the top, we get this piece here because the sign that they'd put on Jesus that said King of Kings in three different languages, right? Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, I believe it was. But this cross beam here is what Jesus was forced to carry. And they said this cross beam would have weighed 120 pounds. This is just historically what they used in that area. The cross beam would have weighed 120 pounds. Can you imagine that? A beam that's as big as a, a, a man's hands that, that weighs 120 pounds. I can imagine it being a pretty good size. I brought some props with me today. I can imagine it being a pretty good size beam, maybe something like a six by six, rough cut. I wouldn't imagine it sanded down, right? So they would have put this bottom beam, this upright beam, in the ground and put a notch in it, and then they would force the prisoner to carry this up the hill 650 yards. 650 yards, and it would have been formed where it had a notch that would fit in the other, so they would, they would uh, <clears throat> he, I'm getting ahead of myself. So as he was carrying this beam up the hill, 650 yards, Christ falls down. He collapses. Scholars say that he would have been in shock. He would have been dehydrated by this time. And then they, they have Simon carry his cross beam the rest of the way. So they bring this 120-pound block of wood, this cross beam up, and they throw it on the ground. I just brought a short piece in the day just, for, just to represent it to you. But they throw Jesus down on the ground. So can you imagine after you've already been beaten, you've been scourged, you're in shock, you're dehydrated, you're exhausted. Have you ever been up all night? You know what your body feels like just after you've been up all night long? Yeah. Then they throw this beam down on the ground, this big block of wood down on the ground, and they throw you down on this beam, right? It's on your back, and you can imagine, right? And then they, then they take this, this nail. The Bible says that it's a square nail. If you were looking up in the, in, the different, in the Hebrew that they use, or the Greek they use, a square nail that they would have used during that time, Right? So they would take in the square, and this is a railroad spike, as close as I could find to it. 
But you can imagine the square nail. And it says they nailed him through the hands. But if you look in the Bible, that word that they use for hands, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it, it's talk, your hands or your hands and uh, your wrists are the same thing. It runs together. Your phalanges run the, your feet and your, and your hands, right? So if you feel right here, do me a favor right here. Feel right here in your wrist where your fingers and your hands all come. You can feel a little hole right there. That's where they say they would have nailed him through. So can you imagine, they took this nail, they threw him down on this thing, a man would have grabbed his arm and pulled his arm over on the ground and took this spike, felt for that piece in his hand, picked up a hammer that might have looked like something like this. I'm sure this was much more primitive than what we have today. But it had to be a pretty good-sized hammer to drive a pretty good-sized nail. Right? They felt that hole in his hand and felt that thing, and then they began to hammer it in. Right? Nailed one arm down. You think they ever missed? They nailed one arm down. Then they got him by the other hand and they pulled it over and they would leave slack in your arms. They didn't want you tight because they wanted you to be able to move up and down. I'll talk to you more about that in a second. But they would pull the other arm over and they would feel that spot in his hand. And he'd hammer that one down there. He'd put that nail in there. He'd nail the other arm down. Then they would lift Jesus up on this cross beam. And put it in that slot. And then they would put slack in his knees. So his, his knees would be bent like this. And they would cross his feet. And it says they would nail him through the arch of the feet. So they'd put another big nail up there. And they'd run that through his feet. And nail him on the upright. Can you imagine that? Can you even imagine what he went through to pay for our salvation? They left the slack in his arms and his legs because they wanted him to suffer for air. You die on the cross by suffocation. So you have to, he'd want to, they'd want to be able to raise up his, straighten his knees out and pull himself up to draw in a breath. Your diaphragm doesn't work properly when you're hung like that. So they'd want him to be able to raise himself up to pull in a breath. And then when he came back down, you die from suffocation because you're able to inhale, but you're not able to exhale all the carbon dioxide that your body's producing. So he went through this for hours. With that tore up back, skin hanging like ribbons, sliding up and down this old pole. For us. For us, right? Finally, they came around and stabbed him in the side. The Bible says that blood and water came out. We're going to get to my only four verses today, right? Matthew 27, 50 through 54. It says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. If you're reading the King James today, it'll say that he gave up the ghost. If you look up the word ghost in the, in the Greek, it means wind. He breathed out his last breath. When you breathe out your last breath, your spirit comes out of you. That's it. You're a triune, we're a triune being. We have, we're a spirit. We have a soul. We possess a, we, we live in a body. Spirit, soul, and body, right? That's what we are. So, the enemy thought he'd won at this point. When Jesus gave up the ghost, he thought he killed the Son of God. He got to think that for one verse. Right? And then we read on in 51, and it says, Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. That's that veil I was talking about, that the priest could only go in, but the people had to stay outside. And two from top to bottom, and the earth quickened, and the, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. You think they knew something was up at that point? The devil knew that he was in trouble. And coming out of the graves after 
after his resurrection, they have went into the holy city and peered to many. So then the centurion, remember that centurion who was in charge of taking him to the edge of death and then stopping him so they could get him up on the cross? Then the centurion and those with him were, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened and feared greatly, saying, This, truly, this is the Son of God. They knew. They knew at that point, right? They knew. The devil knew one verse after he thought he had him defeated. The scholars say that that veil was 30 feet wide and 60 feet tall. I stepped this room off this morning. If you would make this room squared off and not take out for the stairs in that closet, this room is roughly that size. So can you picture a curtain, a veil, that's the size of this floor? Here's the kicker. It was four inches thick. It was woven four inches thick. Can you imagine the strength in a veil that's 30 by 60 by four inches thick? How strong that would be? I've got a tow strap that I used to carry in my truck, and it's not nearly that size. That thing ripped in half from the top to the bottom, the Bible says, that allowed us to go boldly into the throne room of God, right? Jesus went down to, to, to and it says he went down before he went up. So he went down and put, up, put the enemy, put the devil on public display. Now, in the, in, the, when, in the Bible days, when they talked about putting the enemy on public display, they defeated them. They utterly and totally defeated them. They would strip them down naked and walk them up and down through the streets to show that they had no defenses. They had no weapons. They were defeated. That's what Jesus did to the enemy on our behalf for us, for our salvation, right? He did this willingly because he loves us. What a picture of perfect love. All this out of love, right? He put him on public display. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He took the authority, right? He preached a revival down there. He went down there. How many people do you think stayed? <laughs> he preached a revival down there. And on the third day, God's awesome and miraculous power rose Jesus from the dead. A, a, an, an angel came down and, and, and moved that stone out of the way, and, and Jesus came out and was alive. After three days in the grave, alive, right? Think about the power in that. Jesus rose from the grave. That's when everything changed. Everything changed from life to death. I mean, from death to life. I said that backwards. From death to life. Jesus made the cross that was meant for torture, for pain, for bondage, for poverty, for dread. It symbolized death. Everything about it symbolized death. Jesus turned that into the symbol for peace, joy, hope, healing, authority, salvation, breaking bondage. He can break bondage of sin today. If you're living in sin today, he can break that bondage off your life, right? Amen. This symbolizes life. All of Christianity is symbolized by this cross because of the price that our Lord paid for it, right? He paid the price. He wants you to have it. He wants you to have it. Don't let anybody lie to you and say you're not good enough. You've messed up too bad. He did this for you. If it would have just been you, he would have did the same thing for just you. He paid the ultimate price for us, church. After what he went through, I'd say we don't have much to complain about. Right? He wants us to have the salvation today. He wants us to have it. Maybe it's been a while and, 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 and you used to have a relationship with God, but you haven't talked to him for a while. Maybe this is your first time and you've never heard this story before. The Bible says to be saved, first off, I need to tell you there's going to be a great white throne judgment. You can choose today if you want to bow before him and receive him 
The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do it today, or you can do it at the great white throne judgment. But then it's too late. So when we as Christians talk about being saved, I ask people all the time, are you saved? And they'll say, oh yeah, I've been baptized. That's not what it means to be saved. To be saved means we're being saved from the second death. Right? Everybody's going to die a natural death. Our spirit and our soul are going to come out of your body. Your body's going to go to the dirt. Your soul's going to go back to God because he's the one who, or the spirit is, he's the one that gave it. Your soul's going to go either to heaven or hell, wherever you've prepared it to go to. Right? So we're being saved from the second death. He's either going to say, enter in my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I know this is kind of graphic, and it's, but I just want to be real with you today. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. I've heard a lot of people say, it's going to be a good time there. It's going to be a party. Yeah. I'm going to be with all my friends, and we're going to drink beer. <laughs> the Bible says the lake of fire burns with brimstone and fire. Brimstone, if you look it up in the Greek, it translates to sulfur, the word sulfur. Sulfur burns at almost 6,000 degrees. That's about roughly the same temperature as a cutting torch, that little blue flame on the end of the cutting torch. Can you imagine the tip on that thing being the size of a lake? No party I want to go to. So that's, that's, and it's for eternity. That's right. It's for eternity. That's what we're being saved from now, right? So if you want to be saved, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's the only way through God. People say there's other ways. People say, I don't need to do that. I can do this. He says, I'm the only way to the Father, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus said, that's his words. So we have to accept that we're sinners. And we know that we're sinners because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Most of us know that we're a little messed up. Some of us are a lot messed up, right? So we have to realize that we're a sinner. We have to realize that we need saved from that, from that eternal fire, right? And we have to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He's the way. And God rose. He died on the cross for my sins and God rose him from the dead. All biblical things. Then we have to confess it with our mouth. You can believe all you want to believe. The Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. You can believe all you want to believe. You've got to confess it with your mouth. So I'm going to ask you to make a life or death decision today. Life or death. It's up to you. I know you might have tomorrow to do this too, but you might not. I do funerals of young people pretty regular. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody. You think when a young person walks out of their house and passes away that day, they knew they were going to die that day? Or they planned on it? We're all going to die, just nobody knows when. So could we do this today? If there's anybody who's man or woman enough today to stand up and come down to the altar, I've got people who would love to pray with you. If that's you today, would you come to the altar? If you want to start a new relationship with God today, if you didn't know about this before, if, you, if you've had a relationship before, maybe you've been sitting in church for a long time, but you're not where you're supposed to be. Come to the altar. Make it right with him today. Don't worry about the, what the people are, are around you are looking at. Well, somebody's going to look at me. Somebody's gonna be, they're going to be looking at you the great white throne judgment, too. They're going to see you then, too. You ain't going to want to be in the left line. You're not going to be one in the line with them. He says the sheep will be on one side, the goats will be on the other side. Amen? I know God gave me this message today because he wants to have a relationship with someone. So I know there's someone here that he's dealing with your heart. We'll hang out for a little while, wait for you if you need to, or you can just come on now. If that's you today, would you please come to the altar? 
There are ladies who like to play with the ladies. There's, there's some men in here that would pray with the men. If you just come forward. Be real with God today. Could you play some music, sis? Be real with God today. Just come down and pour your heart out to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Don't leave here the same way you came. This could be the first day of the rest of your life. That's how we fought our battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles.